Um, so I grew up in Echo Park, Los Angeles. Uh, I was born in Korea. I came to LA when I was five years old with my family. And we grew up in Echo Park, which is a very urban part of Los Angeles, a very urban neighborhood. And my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, so we lived in this uh, small two-bedroom apartment, you know, uh, me, my brother, and my parents. And I don't know, I don't think we lived below the poverty line, but uh, we might have been close. So we were, um, we had this like scarcity mentality, okay? I don't know if you guys know that term, scarcity mentality. It means like, you know, growing up with little, uh, you have this idea that every resource uh, is limited, right? And so you have to use everything that you have very sparingly. So let me just give you a few examples, all right? So growing up, this is what my childhood was like growing up in Echo Park. Um, laundry, okay, laundry. Uh, we didn't have our own washer and dryer, uh, but we had like those coin-operated uh, laundry machines in the garage or the parking lot of our apartment building. And so we wanted to use, or my mom wanted to use that laundry very sparingly. So, uh, we would reuse a lot of our shirts and like pants as long as there weren't any visible stains on it and as long as it didn't smell that bad if it smelled a little bit it's okay <laughs> but if it didn't smell that bad it's it's uh, you know totally reusable right um but don't worry like, we would always reuse our or we would always wash our underwear <laughs> and things like that was like one non-negotiable right so we would change our underwear like every day but in terms of our shirts and like like pants and shorts, we would like reuse it as much as we can. So we won't only do laundry like once a week, right? And so that's like one example. Another example is uh, transportation, okay? When we lived in Echo Park, we only had one used beat up Oldsmobile for our family. And it's this like big boat looking thing, like growing up in the 80s and early 90s, it was like so embarrassing, like riding around in that thing. And it was probably like a gas guzzler. So we would stack our errands. My mom would never go out just once, like for one thing, okay? But you know, she would stack them, right? So she would, you know, uh, if, if we were running errands in the afternoon, maybe that day she would pick us up from school and then we would go to the market, go to the library, go to Taekwondo practice, <laughs> do it all like back to back to back. We would never go out just for like one thing. And oftentimes, uh, my brother and I, my little brother and I would take the school bus back home, so she wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, but the most obvious example of how we grew up with uh, the scarcity mentality is food, okay? So I'm Korean American, and so it should come to no surprise that we would eat a lot of Korean food. And this is what a typical Korean meal in the home looks like, okay? Ours, in my home, it didn't look this nice, but uh, this is pretty common, all right? So if you've never eaten Korean food before, uh, obviously that's a bowl of white rice. And then all this other stuff on the side are, is called panchan, right? And uh, that's what, I think that's what makes Korean food awesome is that there's so much variety and flavors and colors and there's a lot going on, right? Uh, whenever I would take my non-Korean friends to eat Korean food for the first time, and they bring all of this panchan, which is pretty much like side orders. 
Uh, they always get freaked out because we're like, oh, we didn't order all of this stuff. But it just comes with your meal, like, regardless, okay? And that's just one awesome thing about Korean. I love Korean food, okay? So this is not uncommon what a typical meal would look like. There's rice, there's panchan, and there's usually, typically, some sort of main dish, okay? And this, I don't really know what the main dish is. Um, maybe it's the egg. I'm not sure. But, uh, or maybe it's the soup right there on the bottom right corner. You could just see a little bit of the soup. Maybe it's that, but there'll be a rice, there'll be panchan, different kinds of panchan, and there'll be like some sort of main dish, either soup or some sort of protein like meat or uh, fish. So growing up, uh, my parents always taught me that I always had to finish my rice. Because if you have a nice bowl of clean looking white rice like that, and then you get all these like stains from the panchan, it, you can't reuse it, right? You can't really save it and reuse it. That's kind of gross. And so they would always tell me to finish my rice, but the panchan we could reuse, okay? They would like wrap it up in saran wrap or put it back in the Tupperware, and then we would use it again for the next meal. Um, and this is just what I grew up thinking, okay? This is the mentality, because uh, these things like the seasoned spinach or the kimchi or the toasted seaweed uh, or the egg roll thing, um, all of this stuff costs a lot more money than the rice, which is cheap, right? So I grew up with this scarcity mentality that I had to finish the rice and um, we could always reuse the panchan. And so I could throw down bowls of rice like nobody's business. I could easily kill three bowls of rice, okay? This, I just thought every Korean family ate like this. That was until I got engaged to my wife, Becky. I would eat meals uh, when we got engaged. Um, we didn't really eat too many meals together when we were dating with her family, with her parents, uh, because her dad uh, didn't approve of me yet when we were dating. But when we got engaged and they knew that I wasn't going anywhere, um, they, we started having meals together in their home uh, with her brother and her parents. and. I would, I would be shocked because when we were eating together with them, uh, her mom would tell us to finish all the panchan. I'd be like, but I still had like half of my bowl of rice left, right? And she'd be like, no, finish all the panchan. And I'd, I'd be so stressed out. Like internally, I'm like having all these thoughts, but like, oh my God, I still have all this rice. What am I going to do? You know, I can't waste this rice. And uh, their mentality was like, the panchan is where all the good stuff is. That's where all the flavor is. That's where all the nutrients are. You know, white rice is just like empty calories, right? It's just empty carbs. But you know, this, that's where all the you know, vitamins and nutrients and flavor, that's where all the fun stuff is. So eat all the panchan and they always thought we could always make more, we could always buy more. I didn't really think so. That just like blew me away. And like, if, if it's okay to throw away a little bit of rice, it's all right, right? And so they grew up with, so Becky grew up with this mentality um, that they could always get more. Uh, and I grew up with this mentality that, no, we'll run out. <laughs> we'll run out of panchan, for real. Like, that's just like the mentality that I had. Um, so that really was like uh, a paradigm shift for me and then um, I was like and then that's when I slowly started to like shift my way of thinking of moving from scarcity mentality to abundance mentality and now I still see in, uh, in a lot of my behaviors uh, that I still 
act from a way of this place of scarcity mentality sometimes in my like it's like so deeply ingrained in my subconscious so like like even now like when i refill like hand soap for example you know with those like bags of hand soap refiller like i'll add a little bit of water in there just to make it extend a little bit more i don't know why it's i'm probably saving like pennies or something i don't know but i come from this like i still operate out of this like scarcity mentality sometimes so I wanted us to talk about this, okay, with each other. I'm kind of curious uh, what your take is. Uh, here's a discussion question, and talk to the people next to you, but someone you didn't come here with, okay? Um, do you operate uh, more out of a scarcity mentality or abundance mentality? Okay. All right. Um, by show of hands, uh, how many people, like in their family of origin or in their background, uh, had more of a scarcity mentality? Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, and you know, and then, uh, and then the rest of you, did you have more of an abundance mentality? Yeah? Okay. Um, yeah, and it kind of has very little to do with maybe like your socioeconomic background. It, it might have more to do, to just do with the way your parents uh, raised you, right? Yeah, so. Um, I was uh, rereading uh, The Diary of Anne Frank um, a few days ago, man, I, it's, I, I didn't really, when I read it in like high school, it didn't really dawn on me that she was a teenager when she was writing this, right? And then now I'm like reading it as an adult realizing she was a teenager. I'm like, oh my God, this is like profound. Um, but she said, no one has ever become poor by giving. This is the diary of Anne Frank. No one has ever become poor by giving. Now, the reason why we're talking about like scarcity mentality and abundance mentality today is because I think it has a lot to do with hospitality. Hospitality, it, uh, people who are hospitable tend to be very generous, okay? They tend to be very generous. But the more I actually observe this often neglected spiritual discipline of hospitality is uh, they're not only generous with their like resources, they're generous with everything that they are. Okay, they're generous with their time, right? They're generous with their like heart and in their spirit, right? And they just have a very welcoming, warm, inviting uh, energy about them. Our, so the, our, our mission statement for our church is a hospitable community for spiritual wanderers. This is, uh, if you were to go on our website, this is what our website would look like. And when we were formulating this mission statement with our first, uh, first leadership team, we, they really felt that it was important to have this word hospitable be in there. And it's really like besides the article A, uh, it's our, the first word in our mission statement because it's so important. And hospitality is something that every human being wants and needs, but something that it's a practice that is rarely exercised by a lot of people because it's actually kind of hard. <laughs> to be truly hospitable, we have to be not only generous with our time and resources and our spirit and our heart, right? But we also have to be very, very accepting of people regardless of their background and regardless of how difficult they may be or how different they are from you. And so this other part, the second part of our mission statement, uh, spiritual wanderers, is uh, 
that was kind of formulated together with our leadership team uh, at first because we wanted to reach out to people who were different from us, but at the same time, it, we wanted there to be some sort of connection between us and people who don't consider themselves to be people of faith. And I think Spiritual Wanderers really captured that well because even if you are a person of faith, we've all gone through this like wandering journey of our own, you know, where we have seasons of doubting God, right? Seasons of like maybe disconnecting with God or disconnecting with religion, spirituality, and we all know what it's like to be spiritual wanderers. And this is um, the central truth for today's message. Hospitality has more to do with the state of your heart than the state of your home. Hospitality has more to do with the state of your heart than the state of your home. Genuine hospitality is something that we all want and desire, uh, but again, it's uh, often difficult to practice. And the prime example of someone who has really generous hospitality, it should come to no surprise, is Jesus. Okay, it's Jesus. But if you think about it, when he was doing his ministry, the last three years of his life here on earth, he was homeless. He was homeless. He would travel from town to town, right? Village to village and different regions. And he was really relying on the kindness of others to open up their homes. But regardless of whether or not he was in a house or he was outside, he would always make people feel welcome and accepted and loved because he just had that kind of heart. He had that kind of spirit. So many times we tie hospitality with the state of your home, right? We don't welcome people into our home because uh, it's so messy, <laughs> right? Or, oh, I, or we're in the transition of changing out our furniture. <laughs> or, oh, you know, just um, parking is just really, really bad. Or whatever, we come up with so many reasons why we don't host people, why we don't extend hospitality. But if you really look at what hospitality is like, Hospitality has much more to do with the state of your heart than the state of your home. And today, hopefully, as we explore Matthew 25 together and uh, we, we break it down, or we will see it uh, come together to, um, as we go through the rest of today's message. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, your Bible or your Bible app. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. And I'll be reading from the NIV today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you looked, clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me. Amen. All right, so today's passage is from Matthew 25, and Matthew 25 is a collection of three of Jesus' parables or stories that he uses to teach lessons about the kingdom of God and what it means to live a good life. Uh, the first parable is the parable of the ten virgins in the beginning of Matthew 25, which is about the unpredictability of Jesus's return. The second parable, or the second story, is the parable of the three servants and the bags of gold, which is about being good stewards with what God or the master in the parable has given you, which brings us to today's passage. The third and final parable in Matthew 25, uh, which is in some Bibles called the parable of the sheep and the goats, which unfortunately I think is a bad title for this because that's kind of like what you tend to focus on is God dividing the sheep and the goats. But really, it's about hospitality, okay? And it's about the importance of God's people practicing hospitality. And think about the sequence of these three parables in Matthew 25, okay? The first one is about the ten virgins, which is about the unpredictability of Jesus' second coming. And then the second one is about uh, the master and his servants and how he has given his servants like bags of gold for them to be good stewards of it, to invest in, this, uh, in these resources well. And the last one is about uh, the separation of the sheep and the goats, which is ultimately about hospitality. And what is the example that Jesus gives that is a signifier of his people, the sheep? It's hospitality. Jesus is ultimately saying, like, the world will know you are my people if you extend hospitality. If you feed the hungry, if you clothe the naked, if you take care of the sick, if you visit those in prison, if you help the poor. All of those are examples of extending hospitality. Hey, Bumblebee. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, that, that, <laughs> that totally distracted me. Um, so in today's parable, okay, in today's story, Jesus describes six types of people, okay? Uh, and if you look very, I mean, it's a short passage, but if you look very closely, there are six types of people. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, okay? Bye, Bumblebee. Okay, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. Jesus taught that when you are helping all of these people, you are directly helping Jesus. Not indirectly, okay? Directly helping Jesus, okay? And, and you have to pay attention to the language that Jesus uses in verse 35 and 36. He said, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. He wasn't saying like, I'm like the hungry. He didn't say I'm like the thirsty. He says, no, I am the hungry person. I am the thirsty person. I am the stranger. I am the prisoner. 
And why does he say all of these things in like first person I am statements? It is because Jesus identifies with these six people. He identifies with the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. Why? Because he experienced all of this. Before he began his ministry, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so he obviously knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be a stranger when he is not welcome. He knows what it's like to be naked, because when he was arrested and tortured, they stripped him of his clothes. He knows what it's like to be sick, to be uh, in that broken state. And I don't know if he has ever gotten a cold before, but when he was broken and tortured, he definitely knows what it's like to be um, disabled or handicapped. And uh, he obviously knows what it's like to be a prisoner because before he was uh, tried and tortured, he was literally arrested and taken and treated as a criminal. So he identifies with all of these things. And so whenever we extend hospitality, hospitality to the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, we are extending hospitality to Jesus himself because I, he identifies with these six. Uh, but like I said, hospitality is something that we all long for, but something that we rarely do. And why is this? Okay? And uh, we have to be honest about hospitality. Okay? Uh, it's, it's really difficult to do because hospitality requires vulnerability. Okay, we have to be honest about this. Okay, Hospitality requires vulnerability. If you're going to open yourself up, you're opening yourself up to be potentially hurt, to be potentially rejected. Okay, Maybe even like abused. Maybe people want to take advantage of your kindness. And the reason why we start off today with this is because we have to kind of approach it with eyes wide open. It's not easy being hospitable, <laughs> all right? It's not easy being hospitable. A few years ago um, at my previous church, um, the pastoral staff and I, we read this book together called Living Into Community by Dr. Christine Pohl. And this book was very formative uh, for, for me as we began this church together in my home a few years ago because it really emphasized the importance of hospitality. Uh, in this book, Dr. Pohl surveyed hundreds of very healthy, thriving churches. And they're not just like big churches. They're like churches of all size. But when she observed that this was a healthy, thriving church, she noticed four commonalities, okay, four traits. Okay, She calls these uh, the four pillars of a thriving community. One is um, gratitude as a way of life. The second one is making and keeping promises. That's interesting. The third one is living truthfully, living from a place of who you genuinely are. Okay? No hiding, and, and there's also no judgment. All right? And then the last one, no, to no surprise, is practicing hospitality. In her research, she discovered that a church is not healthy or thriving if it doesn't practice hospitality. She actually came across many mega churches that maybe have like a really, really good brand or maybe they have like really, really good music, but they are not hospitable whatsoever. And so people come and go. They're not deeply connected. They're not spiritually growing as much in their faith as they could be because hospitality was lacking. And there are other churches that like grow really fast 
and then die really fast because they don't practice hospitality. In her book, uh, this is uh, one of the quotes in her book. She says, the earliest Christians, like talking about first and second century Christians, the earliest Christians understood the importance of hospitality. They knew that their welcome had come at a great cost and that to be members of God's household, brothers and sisters of Jesus would need to practice the same kind of costly welcome. If you think about it, the early church could not have existed or thrived or grew or expanded without hospitality. They didn't meet in, uh, they often didn't meet in buildings. They meet in, they met in people's homes and they shared everything that they had in common and they uh, worshiped kind of like underground in secret because the Roman Empire at the time and the Jewish Sanhedrin strictly forbade Christianity. And so if it wasn't for hospitality, our faith literally would not exist. While the risk that we face in hospitality is uh, risking being exposed or judged or maybe even abused, in the early church, Christians risked their very lives when they were showing and extending hospitality to others. I believe this is one of the main reasons why people do not extend hospitality because they don't want to put themselves in this kind of vulnerable place. But they are missing out on so much in their lives if they do not extend hospitality. There is so much benefit and potential for spiritual growth and uh, spiritual vitality when it comes to extending hospitality. In Luke chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said this, When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When you extend hospitality, and this is uh, from the message version of the Bible, okay? That's why a lot of the language is very, like, commonplace. When you extend hospitality and generosity to those whom you know and don't expect to get anything back, there is this spiritual blessing that comes with it that the world cannot give. If we continue to find ways or look for ways to consume and feed yourself and just continue to grow in greed and in selfishness, ultimately that's gonna come to a breaking point and you're gonna end up feeling empty. I was literally having a conversation uh, uh, with an old church member of mine um, and uh, he was talk telling me about, um, now he's in his early 40s and uh, he's making the money that he wants to make and he's living the bachelor life that he wants to live and he's like going out every night or every weekend and he still feels really empty and he doesn't know why and he's angry at god because <laughs> he feels empty but i know and i had to like tell him this that these feelings of emptiness are a direct result of living strictly for yourself and he, he, he no one's ever told him that before at least not recently <laughs> And so ultimately, it's going to come to the point where just living for yourself and not extending hospitality 
is end up leaving you feeling empty and lost. As we shared in our central uh, truth for today, hospitality is sharing not only your resources, but also your heart. This idea of home in the 21st century for many adults is very different than what it used to be, especially in a place like LA. I meet people uh, when they are transplants to LA. Um, they, you know, for break, they'll say like for like winter or summer break, they'll say like, oh, I'm gonna go back home for vacation. But maybe their home is like somewhere they haven't lived <laughs> for like many, many years. Yet home is oftentimes like where their parents are. <laughs> home is like maybe where they grew up. Right? And then where they've been living, which might be in L.A. for like many, many years, it's still kind of like a transitory place. So this idea of home is like a kind of in, in development. <laughs> for us, um, my family, we've moved around so much in the past uh, 15 years that um, my idea of permanent home is still in flux. Even though I know L.A. is my home, we've moved around in L.A. County for many, many years, but uh, like my home home is still kind of like, even where we're living now, I know we're not going to stay here permanently, but it's home for, for now. <laughs> so home, for me, you know, so they say like home is where the heart is. I really didn't know what that statement meant until I was an adult. For me, home is where like my family is, and you know, my family is where my heart is, and so that makes sense to me. So hospitality like operates more from that place, that it's coming from this place of your heart rather than your physical home. When you think about, for example, let's transition this to like a spiritual community. When you think about um, church or a spiritual community, what is the most, that community's most valuable resource? Is that how much money the church has? The it's the people. Ding, ding, ding. It's the people. It doesn't matter where they meet. Right? It doesn't matter how much money is on our bank account. right? It doesn't matter, like, even if like, they have the best music right? or the, or the most, most amazing like, preacher. It's really all about the people. Right? It's really all about the people. The people uh, is the church's like, most valuable resource. right? You... You have to think of yourself in that way. You, as a potential host, as someone who's potentially extending hospitality, you are the most valuable resource. Again, uh, here's another quote from the book Living into Community that I mentioned by Dr. Pohl. She says, communities that practice hospitality discover that one of the most precious resources they have to share with people is their fellowship and friendship. That is the most valuable resource, is people's offering of fellowship and friendship. But hospitality is um, not only an important spiritual practice, it is also the first step of love. Love cannot exist without hospitality. Because what is love? if not accepting 
and knowing who the other person is. Right? If you really stop to think about it, love cannot exist without hospitality. If you want to enter into a loving relationship with someone, be it a significant other, a friend, um, or a neighbor, you have to be willing to know them and accept them. And that is hospitality. Hospitality is the first step of love. So who are the ones in your life that God is challenging you to extend hospitality? When you really stop and think about it, this is exactly what God did for us. When we were far from him, he sent us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to build that bridge, to be that mediator, to connect us to God when we were far away. By doing that, he welcomed us into his family, into his home, into his heart. In the Bible, uh, one of the nicknames that God has is the Lord of Hosts, right? And uh, traditionally, this is understood as the host of the army of angels, right? But now I'm thinking of it more like he is the ultimate host. <laughs> He's the grand host that welcomes us into his family. Um, back in the day when we used to meet in my home um, as a house church, I used to occasionally give challenge of the week. But now I think it's a little bit unrealistic uh, to have a new challenge every week. So I'm going to make this a challenge of the month, okay? How can I extend hospitality to one person or family in November? Okay, today's October 31st, so think about the month of November. Who can you extend hospitality to? And uh, you know, why might these people need it or uh, benefit from it somehow? Okay, so I'm gonna leave you with this challenge for the month of November. How can I extend hospitality to a person or a family? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being the Lord of hosts, the one who ultimately welcomes us into your family because of your great love, because of your generosity, because of your kindness, because of your grace. We have the opportunity to be called your sons and daughters. We thank you so much for showing and modeling this love for us so that we could do it for others. And especially in this like post-COVID world, um, it's easy to neglect this spiritual discipline. But Lord, help us to find ways to do it. Even if it is not about welcoming people into our home, how can we extend hospitality through relationships, through time spent together by caring for one another, extending our heart so that we could potentially share the love of God, the love of Christ with others. Would you use us in this way, Lord? And we know that ultimately we will be the ones that are blessed um, in our spiritual lives as a result of this. We thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.